Hello and welcome back to our dedicated podcast for students exploring all things science, college, university and careers. Join us and discover your love of the universe and everything in it. I'm Jake. I'm Callum. And this is for the love of the universe. Hello and welcome to our season finale of For the Love of the Universe. There's only one thing we can say and it is... Day two for the love of universe. It is one year that we have uh, well, we've been on the air. Yeah, one year, twenty episodes, three hundred listeners. It's gone very well for first year. Yeah, amazingly, so amazingly, we haven't had to uh, believe that many students to actually listen to it. <laughs> yes, we're still here, and we people are still listening. So we must be doing something right. Oh, definitely. And you know what? It seems a long time ago since we actually last did it. I was actually. Uh, Looking through, and I found our original season one, episode one, the very first uh, episode we ever did. Do you remember that one? Oh, maybe I've tried to put it out of my memory. <laughs> it wasn't so bad. <laughs> Embarrassing. Oh, here we go. Hello, and welcome to a brand new style of science podcast. Where we take a look at the latest advancements in the world of science, discuss how you can set yourself up with the best advantages and techniques to get into the sixth form, university, or even the workplace of your dreams. What possibilities and opportunities are out there for you to take, and how do you find them? As well as just discussing interesting things in science to show the absolute wonder and amazing beauty of the universe we live in. My name is Calvin Johnson. And my name's Jake Harding, and this is For the Love of the Universe. Hello and welcome to our first episode of For the Love of the Universe. Uh, it's incredibly exciting to get this running. Definitely, I'm really excited for this. Uh, for those of you who have seen uh, my previous format of Perlamore de Physica, you'll have an idea or sense of how we're going to do this. Uh, but for those of you who are new, an absolute massive welcome from myself and uh, Mr. Harding here. Uh, and hopefully we live to entertain and just impart some knowledge about science most hopefully, in a non-boring format. <laughs> yeah, most hopefully. Well, most hopefully. I mean, we'll try, we'll succeed, but science is... Uh... Oh, but science isn't boring. What's the chance that we're going to bore anyone? Why are we even talking about this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean... The technology's improved. You yeah. Could, uh, <laughs> the uh, recording technology improved. <laughs> well, I think we, uh, we've we achieved in the year all the things that we uh, set out to uh, achieve there. I think all the things that I was listing a year ago, you know, we've talked about careers. We've given lots of uh, tips and tricks. There's things like exam technique and so on, which is particularly topical um, at the moment, of course, this this kind of year. Um, and, of course, I think we have, we have definitely entertained. I mean... First ep- that was our first episode. It sounded so different. I mean, I think, you- yeah, I think we've covered, we've covered, we've covered lots of ground. I was just thinking about uh, while we were listening to that. I was thinking about our uh, over the last couple of series. You know, what some of my favourite episodes have been, and you know, obviously I'm a astrophysicist, uh, astronomer at heart, really. So my favourite episodes are always going to be the ones about you know black holes and that kind of stuff. You mentioned that you have the favourite episodes of Star Stuff. Is there one episode at all that we've done that sticks out in your mind? 
I think it was probably the um, not just the black hole one, but you know we're linked to time travel. That was a good one. You know, we would linked gravity and time together. I the think September, that was a great October one. October episode, yeah. season two, episode one, two. Yeah. yeah, those were good episodes. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because, and the reason I say that, and I think thinking back, I think I said, must have said this at the time as well because that's the sort of thing that students always ask me. Yeah. I think that's the thing students are interested in. You know, can we travel back in time? What would happen if you fell into a black hole and and linking those those things together? Of course, that's very topical at the moment um, as well. They've just taken a picture of Sagittarius A star, which oh, I'm sure we can put on Twitter. Starts being the en- en- um, energetic bursts. Yes. Oh, so yeah. uh, we have the, we have the picture of Sagittarius A star, the uh, black supermassive black hole, I should say, at the centre of our galaxy, um, has finally been uh, you know photographed. So I'm sure we can put that one um, in the link on the Twitter Twitter feed um, uh, after the episode. I've got to admit, I found it really interesting that I was just like. I was, I was talking about it among the students I teach, and it's amazing that it's just like, is that it? And I'm just like, it's a black hole, and I'm looking at it going, actually, now I can think of it. Now the, the sheen of this discovery that's appealed to my physics lesson worn off, is that it? It's a bit blurry. It's a blurry <laughs> black dot. Huh. Well, what did you expect from a black hole? <laughs> well, clearly, apparently more, because they're deeply mysterious. I mean... You know, you've got Sagittarius shooting out energetic bursts that now can wipe out an entire solar system. Well, I suppose I should fill in at this point for uh, listeners who have not seen the picture, but are, of course, going to go and find it uh, as soon as they finish listening to us here. Um, it is essentially a black circle, <laughs> which is what you'd expect from the black hole. But what we can see are the energetic bursts around it. So there's this ring of fire, effectively, um, which we call the accretion disk. It's all of the material that's falling into the black hole um, and uh, essentially what's happening because it's moving past each other it's dust gas particles moving past each other so fast because of friction and um, they they heat up and and therefore they they emit um uh, quite a lot of light and that is what we detect so we see the black hole sort of indirectly through its disk of matter that's quite hot around it that's falling into it um just to give listeners an idea think of, of what it is we're talking about think of Ultra extreme carpet burn, and that's pretty mm. much just carpet to the point where you're just starting to absolutely shine, and that's pretty much the friction going on. Yeah, well, it's so. a bit like you know when you see in films or in real life, of course, when when astronauts and satellites come back through the atmosphere and they start to burn up. It's that idea, isn't it? It's that that really fast, uh, really high speeds. They, uh, you know, the friction or the air resistance I think in you, the atmosphere is is it's causing a lot of heat and a lot of light. Therefore. I think you just reminded me of one of our episodes where we talked about that very thing about um, International Space Station. And uh, I think it might be one of our season ones where we talked about the uh, <clears throat> material of our International Space Station coming back to Earth and whether that one oh, yes. lights up I the atmosphere. There you go. Exactly. <laughs> so uh, there you go. So there's been there's been some highlights that have been highly topical as well, I would say. Well, for myself, very happy birthday to you, sir. And very happy birthday to you as well. It is not our actual birthday, so we should clarify. We, yeah, <laughs> that's, that's, that's it's, the birth, it's the birthday of the podcast that's one. Yeah. So what are we talking about today? That's the question. Well, in our next segment, we are. I thought we'd go, we'd do something a little interesting. Well, I thought, we both thought, we'd look at magic. Well, science is just magic. Who said that? This has just come to me, you know. Oh, yes, magic is just science that we don't understand yet. Arthur C. Clarke, good quote that. 
There you go. I thought it was someone for the Avengers. No, uh, well, I, in the Avengers Marvel, they probably are quoting Arthur C. Clarke, aren't they? But yes. So uh, we thought, you know, uh, end of, uh, uh, you know, to end end off our sort of first year, the uh, our anniversary episode, uh, we will do an episode on how magical science is. So in this particular segment, not only are we talking about magic, we're talking, we're going to link it to, and I am extremely hopeful we don't get any form of copywriting on this one, to talk about Harry Potter, the magic Harry Potter. And if uh, JK Rowling is listening to us, please don't sue us. <laughs> other, other wizards are available. Yes, okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> again, this sort of, do you know, I've had it actually before in my teaching where particularly the younger students, and we're talking very young, year seven, even I've had it in year six, talking about the idea if magic is real. And I thought it'd be quite fun because, of course, the crimes of Grindelwald, not the crimes of Grindelwald, the um, secrets of Dumbledore. Yeah, that was the last one. Yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> that was probably more than a year ago. Yeah, behind that. So uh, the next new Fantastic Beast films come out, the uh, secrets of Dumbledore, featuring... Um, Predominantly Dumbledore, Newt Scamander, and uh, Grindelwald's come out. So why not talk about how does the magic in Harry, the Harry Potter universe work, and how would magic work in reality? So I'm going to start off with uh, something I cannot stress enough. As far as we're aware, magic is not real, and I'm really sorry. Well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think um, you know what I said in the intro. This is what Arthur C. Clarke, who, who said the quote that you know magic is is just science that we don't understand yet. This is what he was getting getting at. Because um, if you think about it, you know, stuff like fire would have been magic to, you know, cavemen, which is the idea, isn't it? So, you know, what, what, what I think there's two kinds, isn't there? There's, there's magic in the sort of magical sense of the wizarding world of Harry Potter. And we should stress at this point that we're not on commission from uh, J.K. Rowling since we've uh, basically just sold, well, we do sold her film. <laughs> basically just sold her film there. Um, but basically, there's that kind of magic, okay, which, uh, yeah. But also, you know, science has progressed so fast, you know, particularly recently. Even, you know, like 40 years ago, some of the, some of the technology and the science that we have now would appear, you know, like absolute magic. To people, I'm thinking things like you know, the internet and communication technology and smartphones and stuff in particular, touchscreens mm. and all that kind of thing. You know, these were these were the things of sci-fi. Arthur C. Clarke was a sci-fi writer. You know, these were all the sorts of things in sci-fi. And I think it's really interesting how much of sci-fi actually comes true. You know, shortly it, afterwards, when you look, go back and read these old sci-fi, classic sci-fi books, or all these classic sci-fi films and things like that. So I think, um, yeah, magic in that sense, mm. I would argue, is real. Well, well uh, the um, the thing is with science, with science is, could magic exist in the real world? Well, as a scientist, it's, it's very difficult to give a yes or no answer to that one because the reality is, is that in science, a lack of ed evidence for something is not direct proof that it does not exist. By that, I mean, if I cannot, just because I've got no evidence that it does exist or doesn't exist it doesn't mean I can't say it doesn't for example I've never been to Sahara Desert so I could argue well I have no evidence for the Sahara Desert therefore it doesn't exist and I'd be completely wrong it does so maybe magic could exist but 
So the best that we can say is, as far as observations have been, as far as we can see, there is absolutely no evidence of magic. That, that's, um, you know, it links nicely. What you've been talking about there is essentially the scientific method, isn't it? You may, and that's important, you know, to most of our listeners, you know, you make predictions or hypotheses and then you go and test them um, through observation and you gather evidence and so on um, to see whether your prediction or your hypothesis, you know, holds up um, in reality. And I think that links nicely to what also we were talking about in the intro when we were sort of, you know, reviewing our previous, you know, our previous year. Um, For example, it's been hypothesized for a very long time mathematically you know things like black holes um and wormholes exist in reality um you know for you know, over 100 years 100 years now we're talking um but it's only been very recently you know within the last um decade that we've actually taken pictures of these things and actually got observational evidence that they actually exist in reality so that's a nice example of what you were saying that mm-hmm. Just because we don't have observations or evidence doesn't mean that they don't exist. And there's a good example, which is then quite exciting because, as I said, you, you things very, like wormholes have been predicted to exist. Just because we haven't seen them yet doesn't get, mean they don't exist. You're very close now to saying magic could exist. Well, exactly. This is my point. I, I feel, well, you opened with magic doesn't exist, so I feel I'm going to have to play okay. the play the uh, devil's advocate of magic here. Anyway, continue well, you, with your you could... with your boring uh, uh, with your boring. Uh, Oh, world view that magic doesn't exist. You're looking you're out of reach for me to get you there. Well, if magic, well, let's go down the rabbit hole of saying, what if it did exist? I mean, mm. what would it look so? See, now we're talking. There you oh, go. Fair so, well, we, we'll link this to Harry Potter because I can't think of something that a, a magic system that is just well known and so forth. So, first thing first, we've got to make some assumptions. Number one is, I think, a fairly safe, safe assumption is magic is, must be a form of energy. So everyone that most people know there's essentially nine eight forms of energy, you know, thermal, heat, light, sound, gravitational potential, less potential, kinetic, uh, electrical, nuclear. I'm missing one. Yeah, the number of stores is very much up for debate, isn't it? Yeah, this is that's the thing. Depending on who you speak to, it'll tell you how many different energy the stores are. But yes, they're the, uh, they're the ones that people are aware of, so, aren't they? So in theory, magic would therefore be a form of energy. Now, the assumptions we can therefore make is, number one, magic is not something that can be easily measured or quantified. Otherwise, we could detect it. In the Harry Potter world, it must have discounted by the fact we can observe it in action, but we can't contain it. We can and cannot contain it at the whim of science. It has to be done by magical beings. So if they already magic starting to make, you know, undermine our fundamental laws of physics, in the real world, if magic does exist, again, magic is something you cannot see and therefore cannot be detected and therefore likely doesn't have mass. But what would be interesting about it is it should therefore be able to affect all the fundamental forces. To make magic work in terms of making things levitate and flames fly out and all that jazz, Actually, if you think about it, they've got it's got to manipulate the fundamental laws of physics, which, if we actually discovered, would I mean talk about smash our laws to bits? I mean, you would just destroy everything we thought about the universe in one fast swoop. And what I find funny is I bet you loads of physicists would love it because it'd be it's like when you watch a TV show and it's a new drama or crime drama, and you're like, oh my god, I really want to find out what's going on, and you're just hooked. 
It doesn't matter if it's a complete plot twist. In fact, the plot twist has made it much more engaging. It's as good as when Darth Vader said, I am your father. <laughs> I mean, that just made people just, everyone returned to Return of Jedi to go, what on earth is going on? Uh, well, every, every good scientist wants a spanner thrown in the works, don't they? That's the point, so that you can, you know, there's a, then there's a whole new field of, of research, isn't there? Magic research, that would be that would be a good job title, wouldn't it? A magic researcher. Yeah. <laughs> that would be so interesting. You get your PhD in magic. I'm a doctor you... of magic. Well, again, <laughs> the main topics of interest to students are in science, space, time travel, um, the sexual education course, and then it'd be magic. Those combinations would just be interesting fields. Anyway, we're going off track here. Mm. Um so in a Harry Potter world, how, would ma how does magic work? Well, it's a form of energy. And as we know from Einstein, energy cannot be created or destroyed. It can only be converted from one form to another. So for magic to blossom, wizards must have an ability to convert energy into magic or absorb it from what we'd call the ether, their surroundings, and be able to expel it at will. Within that, they also should have the ability to, to manipulate magic in their surroundings. Now, what's interesting about this idea is that if that were true, it actually means that muggles are magical. They have some magic within them, but not enough to qualify them as a wizard. And by that scientific stretch, you then start to explain why you get some very powerful wizards like Voldemort and Albus Dumbledore in terms of raw power, and then some who are not very strong take from the first couple of books, Neville Longbottom, who, you know, forgive me for saying this, was not classified as, shall we say, the strongest magic users there could be. And it would also explain, again, why children in Harry Potter get more powerful to get older. It's not just they learn spells, but actually their store of magic in them grows, which actually would make sense. It's like growing as an adult. You know, you know you're not as strong as you were... When you're 11, you're not as strong as you will be when you're, what, 18, 19, 20, so So already there, you can actually start to explain some of the magic in Harry Potter that actually works through science. So I'm starting to feel very lucky about this point, actually. I'm starting to feel very good. Also, I mean, it's very like, okay, we're taking magic as a store of energy. Well, you have your chemical store of energy from, you know, your food, and uh, effectively that's what you use. Um, to transfer into other stores of energy, kinetic to move and thermal to keep yourself warm and so on. Um, and that's, you know, we use the term, of course, you run out of energy. Now, without going into loads of detail, that's not strictly true, of course, but um, that's the idea, isn't it? And, that, and, and also, as you see in the films and you read the books, that kind of works on that level as well, because when the wizards use, you know, sort of more powerful or draining spells, they always do seem to be, a bit out of it or a bit more tired afterwards, which kind of makes sense from that sort of logic as well. You so see, you when see, you start to align it with this idea of energy, it's, uh, it is very similar. So you just made me think that because if wizards get their ability to travel, to convert, if a wizard's body has, it's often said the wizard on Pottermore has the magic gene. But what if the magic gene was, a, an ability within your cells to convert energy into magical energy, sort of like a power plant within your cells. Mm. It would explain, in that sense, why we have muggles and squibs and therefore wizards on one side. 
it would just come down to your ability to mutate these things. It also explained why you can get um, um, people like Hermione who come from muggle families. She just basically has an evolutionary trait. Well, it's a mutation. It's a mutation, mm-hmm. yeah. So actually, then, you know, everything Voldemort believes in just goes up in smoke if that if he applied science to it. But what's interesting is that then, th- if you think about Harry Potter, because it's a children's book, they do feature a lot of sweets and every stuff. But even then, if you think, there's a lot of food present in the Harry Potter universe that's mentioned. The ability to summon it, Hogwarts, or feast. Yeah, right. maybe that's why they have to have feasts every day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it does seem like that, doesn't it? Now, you know, I haven't see. I haven't read the books for a while. Maybe in the books, the feasts are special occasions, but uh, the in feast... in the film, every time they're they're having breakfast, it's a feast. <laughs> they are special occasions. The amount of food they churn out. I mean, actually, you think even as even a your school, whether you're listening from wherever you are, school or college, actually, you don't churn out that much food. So the amount they chew. And the quality it's given, I know it's storytelling, but actually, scientifically, if you were converting energy into magic, you would need a high-calorie diet. Therefore, eating sweets is an, and cakes is an absolute must. <laughs> and, of course, they don't seem to suffer from rotting teeth as a concern, which actually would go as far to explain, explain why they, if this was the case, then early on, it, the dental work would have been an absolute priority in the wizarding world. Therefore, they've sold it. Therefore, eat as many cakes as you like because it helps you become more powerful. The only downfall of that idea is that then one of you is very skinny, capable of casting a lot of magic versus your people who, of course, have got a lot of weight. But then arguably, if they're converting all the chemical energy into, into magical magic energy, energy yeah, then, then we'll call it. <laughs> then they wouldn't put on a lot of... In fact, are there, apart from Horace Slughorn, I can't think of many teachers, many wizards who are classified as being... Larger, who are great spellcasters. Ah, but see, that makes sense because Horace Slunkhorn is the uh, is the potions master, so he casts less spells. He just he makes just, potions. He does. There you go. He see, does, in fact, maybe this is what J.K. Rowling is thinking because the crown. See, we've we've just uh, broken. We've just broken the books. Maybe <laughs> that's why Hermione's parents are dentists. It's like the polar opposite, isn't it? Ooh, yeah. Yeah, see, maybe maybe she was exactly that. She. J.K. Rowling was clearly paying attention in physics class at school well, and thought, this is how we're going to explain this universe. Well, actually, it's, I mean, I'm going to be honest. I only sort of thought this idea was just interesting to do, but I'm actually really starting to think about it going, actually, I've, I've, I've loved the book since I was a child. Now I'm actually thinking about it going, hang on, these kind of things potentially might work. I mean, the other thing that comes to mind is things like um, magical objects. So take broomsticks that can fly. Well, obviously, they don't have a store of chemical energy. How's that work? But what if, by the nature of magic, you can store things? You can store magic in things, like a capacitor. And for those of you who don't know, we learn, you learn to say in a physics, a capacitor is a device that basically allows you to store electric charge. Not exactly like a battery, but similar. So if something like a broom or a remember-all or any magical device works a bit like a capacitor, and has the ability to sort of draw magic from the surroundings, because magic nearly in every genre, magic seems to be around us, and is sort of absorbed over time, then it would explain how brooms are able to store magic. And if you go back to what I said about magic being able to control the fundamental forces, it explains how a broom flies. Because the magic within the broom basically allows you to alter gravitational forces instead of making it positive it makes it negative 
which would cause you to fly upwards. It does. I mean, I, I think, you know, just, just applying the basic, you know, chemical energy store in a broomstick makes a lot of sense because it's basically just like a car. You know, you fill up your car with your chemical energy in the form of your fossil fuels or now, of course, um, electricity. And uh, that's storing it and you use it to convert to kinetic to move or anti-gravity um, in, in that case to, to move. Um, and which you could argue is just dark energy. So what we're doing is moving things into uh, different energy stores. Lots of people often describe dark energy, in fact, as anti-gravity, don't they? But the, um, the point is, and as you say, well, if, if the wizards are storing that energy, then instead of going to a fuel pump to, to fill up their broomstick, as it were, all they effectively have to do is touch it to charge it up with their own store of energy. And then they have to go have a feast afterwards to, yeah, to so fill it's up. The broom... So it's basically exactly like a car. Well, the thing is, in the second book and in the movie, Harry Emron can't go and can't get Dobby basically seals off apart from nine because spoilers, by the way, for anyone who hasn't read the book or watched the movie. But Dobby seals the barrier, so then they decide to steal Arthur Weasley's car. And of course they fly the car and they push the invisibility button, it doesn't work, but then they go flying off to Hogwarts. And towards the end the car starts to fail. But if you read the book, at that point in the story. Harry and Ron are starting to get tired. They're mm. starting to flag, starting to feel bad. What if they're actually being depleted of their own energy? The car is absorbing the energy from them and they're running dry. And what if wizards, to prevent themselves just being drained, have an innate, natural, magical sort of stop barrier? Yeah, like a threshold. Like a it's threshold. a bit like a pain threshold, isn't it? So a natural threshold. And maybe the, more, yeah, maybe the more powerful wizards, in inverted commas, can, can push that threshold back a little bit. Yeah. So... As they ran out, the car runs out. I mean, just actually, the timing's a little coincidental there. I know, it, again, it also, you could argue for good storytelling, but the timing was rather coincidental because it was. They were up really early, you know, two 12 year olds, and then they were flying to Hogwarts and only got there sort of very late at night. And they have effectively had to go from London to uh, Scotland. <laughs> Which it's is quite far. Yeah, it's about six, seven hour constant journey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, I've driven it before from here, so from Manchester, and that takes about three and a half hours. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, about six, seven hours of uh, driving. I suppose you wouldn't have the traffic if you were flying. Yeah, but even still, even still, if you travel at that particular speed, because you're matching Hogwarts Express, mm. which as a steam engine isn't going to be horrifically faster be... than one day car. No. Actually. See, all makes a lot of sense. See, you're starting to warm to the idea of magic <laughs> actually making sense now. This is this is my goal for the episode. <laughs> well, again, it's just sort of like the idea of storing chance. I mean, and yeah, so what wizards can basically do is, and you then have to, we can't not talk about Harry Potter, not talk about wands. Wands are a must. So what does a wand do? Well, essentially, it acts like a lens. Like you're glad, if you wear glasses, the lens focuses the light into your eye. Wands must focus magic. So they're not magical in themselves. And J.K. Rowling actually describes them as that way. They allow a wizard to focus their power. So essentially, they allow, if, if a wizard is full of unrefined magical energy, as it were, and has the ability to expulse it at will, the difference is sort of like being able to belch fire versus control a dedicated stream. With your wand, you can just do a lovely stream of flames. Whereas without it, you're just sort of letting off fireballs that go nowhere just create a lot of smoke so that's why you don't get a lot of wandless magic but people like Dumbledore who have great skill can actually do wandless magic 
they can expel it, the magical energy from themselves. It's it never as impressive, though, is it? But That's it, the point, yeah. Because it is still unrefined. Mm. It's sort of like, you know, if you pull a dam in the river, the water falls unrefined. You can try and control it as much as you like, but it's still unrefined. It's not this perfect flow. I suppose that's also a nice topical link. See, other wizards are available. The other big movie that's out at the moment with magic in it is, of course, Doctor Strange. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. The second Doctor Strange is out at the time of recording. And you've just made me think there, you know, you never see or you don't see as much wandless magic. And, um, you know, everyone has like a staff, like uh, Gandalf in Lord of the Rings. But I'm just thinking of, uh, you know, they have rings, don't they, in uh, Doctor Strange? Yeah. They have little rings that they use to open portals and cast spells and things like that. But And that, the idea is to focus the mind and the magic and so on, which makes a lot of sense if we're going down this energy route is effectively they are just, are just lenses. And I think what we're talking about actually is explored quite a lot in, in Doctor Strange, particularly the, the more recent movies. And um, because, of course, he is a he is a scientist, really. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Yeah, yeah. He's a scientist, really. Well, I won't say anything about the movies. There yeah. you go. I won't say anything about the movies. <laughs> but he's a scientist, really, and, and tries to apply the whole sort of like scientific thinking to it while he is learning spells. So I think that's uh, it's a nice little link there as well. So it, yeah, it does make sense across the magical genres to use yeah. your uh, terminology. Well, again, the the interesting thing is that well, all with the Harry Potter stuff is actually when you start applying it, a lot of science you could make work as long as you take things with a bit of a pinch of salt and the big one is you, you undermine the entire laws that we've built having said that that's sort of how science works well but, the the law of conservation of energy holds if yeah. we class magic as a as a type of energy store then energy can't be created or destroyed just transferred from one store to another that is all we're doing we're transferring the chemical energy effectively in the wizard's food into magical energy and then ultimately, whatever that magic spell is doing, ultimately that's going to transfer the energy into something else, whether it be gravitational potential energy, if, if they're levitating, as you've already mentioned, or thermal energy in most spells, I would imagine, heat. Well, there's one last thing I did want to bring up, mm. because I can see someone, someone coming up somewhere, <laughs> is that, well, that's all and good, but what about when they summon stuff? Not literally summon, but make stuff appear up for nest, or make uh, bread appear up for nest. I know that violates um, what Hermione says in some books about um, Goldie something's rules, whatever. But... <laughs> rule of whatever. Very scientific. <laughs> oh, yeah, sure. In the sixth book, they have uh, Molly Weasley making onion soup out of nowhere, but suddenly you can't eat food when the three... Well, see, start. I would argue that, as, you know, so I suppose if you're summing something out of nowhere, if they're drawing that energy out of the, out of the surroundings, then it should get colder when uh, magic is being used. So they're drawing all that thermal energy out of the, the particles in the uh, surroundings. And make it hotter. The o- but the only other thing to bear in mind It's is... like an endothermic reaction. Mm. But in theory, and this is where... I, I know we're already down the rabbit hole, to be fair. But this is where <laughs> we're really going to go down in it. If wizards have magic, magic is a form of energy that can transverse dimensions in such a way that people have an access to it then they should be able to access different dimensions and therefore in theory you can store something in one dimension like a pocket universe and rebring it out and because the universe is a closed system if it's a miniature universe you couldn't just and store food in there it's in a vacuum but there's no way for the heat energy to lose so it all stays the same temperature so it's like a contained somewhere no one can access and you just make it appear and disappear 
but blindly appear out of nowhere. If magic you can apply the laws of energy to, which is Einstein's equation says E equals MC squared, energy can turn into mass and mass can turn into energy. Then with a wand, you can wave your wand and say the relevant spell, and you can convert the your magical energy into mass, essentially turning the energy into something. Now, you know, this is called pair production in physics, where if energy turns into mass, it creates a particle of matter and a particle of antimatter. But wizard might be able to use magical energy in his surroundings to sort of arrange them. The only problem is this, that means he's creating antimatter, or she's creating antimatter at the time. But here's a possible solution. Antimatter, when it collides with any other matter, such as the matter in normal air, explodes or creates a big flash, such as the big flashes of light you happen to see nearly every single wizard cast. Mm. So all of a sudden, that idea starts making a little bit more sense. You're like, huh. I mean, again, we're doing some adjusting there, but maybe magic is not so unrealistic as one might think. Just requires people to have the right access. And it would also explain why maybe there's no wizards as we are now. We just haven't evolved yet. Maybe we're on our way. Maybe they are in one of these parallel universes. Hence uh, multiverse in uh, Doctor Strange, in fact. So well, multiverse, there you go. multiverse. Well, we should have psychic abilities. So yeah. That'd be interesting to see. But uh, I mean, that's 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 a podcast for another time. <laughs> that is that is one. That's it. If we have X Men powers, um, but yeah. So could magic exist in the real world? As far as we know, no, but in theory, maybe it does. But if it does, it's completely undetectable, completely does not interact with things the way we can observe them or the way that we can be really sure of. In the Harry Potter world, though, magic obeys a lot of science when you start really breaking it down. And whilst I'm pretty sure it's just good storytelling that happens to match up with the science, there's one too many coincidences for my liking. But well, It's well thought out, that's why it's... So good and long-lasting as a, as a series. Yes. So, yes, indeed. So that was actually, that was a, uh, I really like that episode. Yeah, I think I convinced you by the end that magic could exist, possibly <laughs> in an alternate dimension or parallel universe but uh, where the laws of physics are slightly different but there's theoretically still, it makes sense there's still the magic of the moment so yes i can still say that well and on, on that note the magic of the moment we uh that that brings us to the end of not only our our happy birthday anniversary episode but um where we've we've uh, celebrated the magic of science which i think is very apt for uh, the title of uh, this podcast but also brings us to the end of uh, season two Yes, that's right. So uh, because of it's the time when exams are coming out, and uh, I, I think I want to take a moment to stop and say good luck to all our GCSE students, all our A-level, all our B-tech, any student who is listening, good luck for your exams. And if you're not a student, I mean, good luck is just worth having anyway. <laughs> yes, do have a rest, though, over half term to the students. A bit uh, of revision, though, but do have a rest as well. You don't want to be burnt out, no. I always say. But uh, because we're very aware that a lot of students are now revising and there's a lot of pressure on that one, we this is the time where we say uh, we're going to wrap up season two. But don't panic. We will be back with a brand new season. Season three. I didn't think we'd last this long. <laughs> you have little faith. But yes, it makes sense to do season three after season two. Not well, that anyone should be surprised by 
the numbering system. Well, <laughs> season three is bigger and better because we've got new ideas, we've got new things going to be running, and we won't let anything loose now. But you will want to stay tuned. Which uh, we're looking to come back for season three. We're going to give it. Uh, well, it's the new academic year, isn't it? So September we'll be back. So within sort of August, September, mm. around that time. But if stay tuned on our Twitter, we will announce when we are coming back and we will use the summer to record some fantastic episodes. I mean, we're going to be looking at the world of quantum mechanics, quantum computing, as I say, the idea of looking into uh, potentially X-Men powers. I mean, all kinds of wonderful, wacky science. We've got guest speakers um, lined up to talk about their experiences and so on. Uh, all of which we are hoping to uh, record and stay on, along with new ideas and new ways to do things. So, uh, very exciting, basically. Very exciting. Very exciting. Very exciting indeed. So, for now, for season two, for our last episode of season two, uh, it's a goodbye for me. And a goodbye for me. Have a good summer. Indeed, have a good summer, and we will see you in season three. Stay tuned, and we hope to see you soon. Take care.